Hello and welcome to News from a Boring Dystopia. Today we stand for K-pop, uh, discussing its impact around the world. Really quick, what's everybody's favorite K-pop group? I like BTS because that's the one I know. But uh, yeah, I, put everybody I, I, on the spot. I, I, I've heard some things from Blackpink and I kind of like it. They okay. have a good beat. I'll go with Blackpink too. BTS too. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so we are... Uh, we are we are not the we are kind of K-pop noobs for full disclosure. I, I think <laughs> yeah, we're not the cool kids. How popular is K-pop in in it's your country? Extremely popular, like in South America. Okay, in India, it's very popular, and it's a very niche sort of you know. There, you have to be a certain kind of person to actually seek out a music from a different culture, and that holds even here. So, for instance, at U Chicago, there's a huge K-pop fan base. And um, and even in New Chicago, like the perception of these people who like K-pop is like, you know, these are the woke people. These are these are the people who would actually seek out other cultures, and they're not like their entire world doesn't revolve around America. And I mean, it is definitely true that you know this uh, stereotype of K-pop people being very politically active and you know, yeah, getting they out are. there. That's true, but it's also like, why not? I mean, these are the same people who are actually actively seeking out to learn about a different country, a different culture. Obviously, they care about politics. Obviously, they're gonna get out there. Obviously, yeah, I mean, uh, so like the there's a region in Brazil we call Pantanal, which is be translated like uh, wetlands, something like the Everglades, something, and they're like they're burning. Was like uh, I mean the fire was wreaking havoc, and then the army, Brazilian army, which is the army is the is the name of the K uh, BTS fans. They call them call themselves army. The Brazilian army uh, like donate a lot of money for like institutions in the in Brazil to help Pantanal. And I know that there's a case of, like uh, it's very funny though. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, I, I imagine like a 13 years old girls like doing this, but I know that like a, it's a very range of people. It's not like only teens, like a very grow, grown up people. Yeah. And, and there's like a, a, you know, I think the first Trump rally. They, the they, where... they literally bought out um, tickets. All the tickets. This was all over TikTok, like, you know, K-pop stands buying out tickets and like messing up with his numbers. And I mean, that's- Yeah, and it was like, like uh, more than a hundred, a hundred thousand people was like, uh, uh, how can I say, checked to to go to the rally. And then like only a thousand people went there. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like only fake th uh, people, but because mostly the, the, most of those people also like army and and they do this to trump i i mean so i went to a school where the, like half the population was south korean and um the influence of k-pop like everyone who graduated from the high school is a k-pop stan and i think if i was a more fun person in school i would have been <laughs> but yeah um, i was not fun so <laughs> couldn't get into it but these people like you know like K-pop dancing, K-pop club, K-pop food. 
like multiple clubs related to this one phenomena. And uh, that was like really, the influence that can have and that can stay for such a long time is like remarkable. Where I live in the city where I live, which is the average income is kind of high when compared to Brazilian standards. And I, and I have a lot of friends that really consider themselves as army and they're really like into K-pop. So it's a higher classes that listen to K-pop here in Brazil. I think it's the lower classes. I don't know because I don't. I really don't have access to these people. They don't live in this in the same areas and space that they live. So I don't know the reality, but I mean, it's more like a middle class, upper class thing here in Brazil. I also think like K-pop is something that like you have to actively look for, but also like with the rise of the internet, like I think like, I wouldn't say like extremely poor people, but like lower classes have been able to access those kind of content because it's available online. And yeah. like, it has been growing a lot. And so actually in Peru, you do, like there has been like a growth. I know a lot of people actually um, that have been like actively like learning Korean, uh, which is really interesting uh, because like they just wanted to like know more about it. I have some data here. I, I in, a, in a very like a popular entertainment website here in Brazil. Okay. Uh, said that uh, Brazil is the fifth country in the world in the ranking who listen K-pop in the world. In the first place come the United States, then Indonesia, then Philippines, then Japan, and then Brazil. I've been looking at the U.S. maps while we were talking, and it seems that there are even uh, very popular enclaves of K-pop in Wisconsin, which is not even very heavily Asian. So it seems to be, from what I'm looking at in the maps, I think it's it has to do with open-minded areas of the U.S. seem to be more inclined towards K-pop versus like closed-minded areas, which seem to be inclined to other types of music. Be in the Bay Area being probably the most open-minded area in the entire US, I would say. Even in India, so the K-pop fan base is very well known for gathering in, you know, areas which are, you know, public and like reclaiming these areas that haven't been claimed by certain populations. But at the same time, these are also very privileged kids who can go to these areas and pretend like, you know, they are part of this yeah part of this area so yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't i wouldn't class like i wouldn't put them in any class for for, for india or america because those are the only two people like places i know about yeah and even though he, he even like this korean wave or something i mean here in brazil like uh skyrocketing all the products like especially in cosmetics niche in, in makeup like uh from South Korea and Korea and South Korean uh, brands was like a, it's very famous here and the South Korean method of skincare or something like this like a X idol skin routine or Y idol skin routine so and it's kind of problematic especially in non-white countries because I mean, I think that like uh, South Korea has like uh, this thing with uh, light skin, like a uh, clear skin or more whitewashed skin. So I mean, countries like Brazil, which the majority of people are like non-white, or I don't know if the, like America said everybody here is not white. So okay, uh, or well, okay, but the majority of people here are at the least are brown. And India as well is a 
in Peru, and then I mean, put like a uh, racist tone of like a not ra yeah yes it that's racist and tone on like uh, this whole thing of look like your K-pop idol. To go off of what Bruno was saying, I think that what is happening with K-pop is that it's challenging Western standards of beauty. Some of these standards of beauty are still bad, like lighter complected being worshipped. Regarding that, there's this like Peruvian influencer and he's like fully Peruvian. He doesn't have like any Asian ancestry. And his thing, the reason why he's famous is because he like does his makeup as like a K-pop star. I mean, he does have kind of like a little bit of like Asian eyes, but like that's a common trait in like indigenous people in Peru. Um, so he's actually like not Asian, but like he like does his makeup like that and like he changed his name to like Jeon J and that sounds like a K-popper. So like he has like thousands of followers just because girls think he's like super like pretty and he looks like this like K-pop idol. But yeah, no, he has said like, so many times like i literally have like no connection to korea no this is just my aesthetic yeah so america's far right does not like k-pop to some extent we, we kind of like and i think that their criticisms to some extent are based in racism uh and, and probably predominantly based in racism where they don't like conventional standards of kind of like what is traditionally attractive in, in western society of like whiteness and masculinity being attacked to some extent, basically. But at the same time, I think that some criticisms are, that are legitimate are also being kind of like by stands to some extent are being cast aside as being racism. So how do, you, how do you contend with this kind of like, there are bad faith arguments, I think mainly from America's far right, but also partially some bad faith arguments on the other side too. So what, what do you think about that? I mean, to be very honest, it, it is a very, uh... LGBTQ friendly space, I can tell you that um, the, you know, the music that they produce or the way they produce it is very, it's very camp. It's, you know, the, the popular, the people who like it are also more willing to, or like more open to those sort of ideas. And uh, for certain people, it might not like anything that challenges their idea of male, you know, heteronormative ideas, that is bad. So I definitely think that stems from, you know, their own prejudice. No, yeah, absolutely. And actually, like, uh, going back to the influencer that I sent you the photo of, um, he has gotten so many terrible comments from people questioning his sexuality and, like, questioning, like, why does he present himself in that, like, K-pop aesthetic? I think South America definitely has ingrained this, like, concept of like macho looking man that is like really toxic it's really sad because a lot of like young people like let's say that influencer and others um are trying to change that narrative like by borrowing like aesthetic elements from the k-pop culture and yet they're like faced with criticism so i mean will this change maybe like maybe throughout the years like like the fan base maybe like grow so much and like the cultural elements get so embedded in the culture that maybe people in like South America will be like more open to seeing that kind of like androgynous look. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going to happen with that. But at least as of now, there's definitely a lot of criticism um, towards that aesthetic and that presentation of men that it's kind of like androgynous. K-pop groups have been regularly accused of cultural appropriation of cultures such as African-American culture, especially due to the frequent use of uh, cornrows and bandanas in idol groups on stage stylings. Uh, so how do we feel about cultural appropriation, especially from a country that's not even, you know, that doesn't have necessarily a history of, of uh, enslavement from what I'm familiar with, with regards to, but is that even the context that we, we, should, we should be looking at things? Or what, what do we feel about that? <laughs> this is a cat, this is, I have no idea with this one. <laughs> I usually try to be on the forefront of things, but there is no conclusive answer for this one from my perspective. I definitely think there's room for improvement. Even in the Desi community, I know Blackpink has received a bunch of hate for their How You Like That video because they used a, a, you know, a God's uh, symbol in the music video and the Desi community was like, you know, what the hell, don't do that. Um, so that, I mean, you know, we don't have to say that just because they're doing good in one, one part, they have to, they, they are free of any problems. You know, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for change. And as it becomes more international, I think there is definitely, you know, that's definitely going to happen because they will have international producers or, you know, people giving them feedback. So let's just hope that changes. But yeah, with regards to uh, cultural appropriation, uh, from my perspective in the United States, I think that like, um, to some extent, it can be strange uh, to, I, I think that it, I like progress. I like the idea of, of uh, the idea of things changing and things being improved upon. But at the same time, I think that to, uh, you know, we, we have, we live in a, a global community and to completely sideline people and to not, you know, it's basically kind of like, you know, not referencing an essay that you wrote as like, this is the side note, oh, somebody helped with the creation of the, or this data was from this source. It's kind of, I feel like it's kind of similar to that where you should reference the people that are influential in the creation of this new, potentially innovative take on, a, on another culture. Um, so I think that, that, I think that the United States is, you know, aside from like very, you know, conservative artists uh, in the mainstream and very progressive artists I think in the United States are pretty good about it but with regards to um with regards to South Korea I have no idea what the take would be I mean we can I think that uh my perspective is it's 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 kind of hard to criticize from my I, I, I wouldn't know how to do that <laughs> I guess I guess I could uh, you know I guess with with all art there's going to be problematic elements to it and that that shouldn't prevent you from enjoying it but I think, it, yeah, I think it might be a good idea to notice those problematic elements like cultural appropriation and, and um, yeah, I have, no, I have no definitive answer with this one. <laughs> I feel like the best solution for that, if they want to start including aspects from like other cultures, would be just like partnering with huge artists in those other countries and just like trying to create music with them that is both like respectful and fun you know for like everyone um I mean I do know that like k-pop has been trying to get out of just like collaborations within the k-pop sphere um but I definitely think that there needs to be like more diversity in those like new artists that they're trying to like collaborate with I mean I've been hearing that like a lot of 
um, K-popers are trying to like make music in Spanish too because they know that like South America is like a huge market for them. But yeah, I wonder if this is going to be like a growing trend or like if they're just going to like decide to like take cultural elements and like put them in themselves. So the answer is include artists from that culture. I think that that might be the right answer to this. And otherwise, Antonio has no idea how to address this. So now we will have a special guest joining us. His name is Teddy Sun. He went to NYU with me. Um, he's from South Korea and he's currently based in South Korea. And he's going to be sharing with us a little bit about his experience with K-pop and how he sees this as a global phenomenon. South Korea is gaining lots of, of status internationally, not only through economic development, but also through art and music. Um, what do you think about, you know, um, with that, with, with, it, with it kind of being an example um, with how it's handling coronavirus, um, I think maybe we can address this later too, but what do you think about like the more like more gray areas of it, of this growth with regards to like the competitiveness of South Korea? How do you think, and especially under the, like under capitalism to some extent, how would you have any, any, any insight on, you know, being potentially, I, I would think being raised in South Korea uh, with regards to the competitiveness of, of the, of the, of the culture. What, what's your yeah. take on that? Yeah, absolutely. So basically in South Korea, um, well, you basically, you basically said it already, it is a super competitive culture in terms of education and, well, well not just education, like in terms of job searching and everything like that. If you've read, um, like there's this new book that's come out that's been written by uh, a K-pop star, Jessica Jung, called Shine. And it's not like a it's not like an in-depth book or anything like that. It's basically just a young adult novel, but it also really kind of does address the competitiveness with regards to K-pop in and of itself, because you've got like hundreds, maybe even thousands of trainees like battling it out every second of every day, you know, watching their weights, you know, practicing dance moves and singing literally into the early hours of the morning. And that is, I would say, that's a prime example of all this competitiveness. And I guess the reason behind that would mostly be because South Korea is one of the most capitalist countries in the world that you could find. And I'm not just talking about like capitalist as in like, well, your typical view of capitalism, like what you see in Europe or the Americas these days, where we've taken capitalism and we've taken it to a new level of extreme say like it's basically in a way you could say that it's basically you either fight or you're gone and if you want to stay in that fight you really have to like literally give it everything you have in terms of studying in terms of job hunting in terms of just even even if you get a job if, even if you get into your dream school and everything like that you really have to keep your you really have to keep your performance up every day in order to kind of stay at that level. Otherwise, you're just going to get pushed off your perch. For instance, in Korea, the school system is all based on personal rankings. So even, in, even as early as in middle school, you get ranked um, based on your performance in your tests and everything like that compared to every other student in the school. So let's say there's like 180 students in your grade. 
like you'll be able to know with a simple like research or you'll be able to talk to a teacher and they'll literally tell you where you are. I think it also comes up on your report card as well. So you have to show your parents that, which is never fun. I had to go through that for three years. So, so yeah, it's, it's so ingrained in our culture that it's almost a, it, it's almost an obvious part of our culture right now. It's so obvious. It's such a natural part of our lives. And nobody really says anything or does anything about it, to be honest. And I, for one, think this is, well, it is a part of our culture that has engineered our rapid growth and economic success. But at what, at what cost? You know, it's like so many people have to suffer because of this. Korea's um, mental health issues among young adults are spiking um including yours truly to be uh to be exact and yeah exactly and like korea not only leads so many different numbers in terms of like um positive things like k-pop or dealing with a pandemic or whatever but they also lead the lead the line in a bunch of negative things like teen suicide rates for one so it's a very double-edged sword to the extreme, if you know what I'm saying. It, does does that make sense for everyone? Is is like is you know? Yeah, your insight's really really interesting. Do you feel like the pressure to like be like those guys that you were seeing on TV and like acting? You know, like do you feel like the beauty standards was that something that you aspired to or that you were like pressured to pursue? Well, I think in terms of beauty standards, let's use that as a prime example. I think beauty standards in Korea are, again, taken to an extreme. For starters, let me just say this. Um, I consider South Korea to be the plastic surgery capital of the world. So basically, you go to Seoul and you have all these hundreds, even you know tens of hundreds of plastic surgery clinics that basically shape your face into whatever face the hottest k-pop star is like be it a boy or a girl or or whatever and that again that we go back to that uh, standard being held to an extreme that beauty standards is, is held to something that's so ridiculously high and perfect that everyone really wants to get there whereas in reality they're well, you can't really get there, you know? Like, you can basically try to change your face all you want through all the expensive medical tech that you have, but, I mean, like, it, it's not going to be the same, you know? But so many people neglect that and try to alter themselves to become that epitome of beauty or whatever that may be. And I guess nowadays people are kind of starting to come off that high horse and trying to accept themselves as they are um, as social justice kind of starts to rise in Korea as well but even so I would say that that culture of trying to be perfect in terms of not just beauty standards but of everything is still very much ingrained in our society and of course it's well it's something that's very difficult to deal with I for one during my days of growing up, it was, um, it it wasn't easy. I mean, I I wasn't really too bothered by beauty standards myself. 
but I could see why everyone else was in terms of, especially like hairstyles, uh, for example, like everywhere you go, like you could get on a subway car in Korea and you would see every guy have almost the exact same hairstyle, like nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10. And I was also one of those people who had said hairstyle before I started growing my hair out. And yeah, it's very noticeable how much people kind of aspire to adhere to those standards. And nowadays, I guess it's not so much that, well, well, it's not so much that people are trying to break away from that, from that status quo, but I think some people are realizing that it's just ridiculous to try and adhere to these ridiculously perfect standards. So right now I would say it's kind of like some people are trying to stick to the status quo and some people are trying to break away, but I would say that the status quo is still kind of winning at this point. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, Teddy. Um, so uh, my question is, basically, can you talk a bit more about the change in the law and having to serve in the army? I basically read that, you know, K-pop. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you know, already know about it. Okay, can you talk exactly. a bit about it? Um, yeah, absolutely. Are, are you talking about the whole law with BTS and how they can, like, how they might be able to push back their 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 service and everything like that? Yeah. Uh, is it, yeah. like, a significant influence on the government or is it something that happens a lot? Well... Let me tell you this. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Korean ma- males, every single Korean male has to go through two years of mandatory military service, barring some sort of medical condition or like, like barring very severe like cases. And one of the ways that you can get out of military service without having a serious ailment or a condition is for athletes at the very least you can win a gold medal at the asian games or any sort of medal at the olympics that's one way you can get out of it and but then again for k-pop stars that's always it's always been such a sensitive topic because we've had k-pop stars from like as far back as like 20 years ago who have tried to break the laws, who have, tr- who have tried to get around them to get out of their military service. And even as recently as just 10 years ago for, for that matter. So every time people do that, the, the government obviously tries to enforce the laws to make them even stricter, to kind of close all the loopholes that these stars have been exploiting. And then suddenly a K-pop group of BTS's caliber that has never been seen before in K-pop comes along and people are suddenly raising this question about whether they should be allowed to postpone their military service so that they can well serve their country by doing what they do best, sing and dance. And a lot of people are saying that, yes, they should, because, I mean, what good is going to come out of sending these guys to the military when they could potentially be earning themselves and their country a lot of money while performing overseas. Whereas the other more conservative side, I would say, is saying, well, if you make an exception with these guys, then we're going to have to start making exceptions for other people should they come up. And then the whole system would be kind of undermined. So I don't know exactly what 
the conclusion is or if a conclusion has been drawn yet, but there's still kind of, I believe there's still kind of at, a, at an impasse, should I say? And me personally, my opinion is that, well, I mean, I identify to be more of a conservative than a, than a liberal, although I'm pretty neutral most of the time. And my stance on it is basically that, well, yeah, I mean, if you give these guys an exemption or a postponement or whatever, then what's going to happen if somebody else like BTS comes up? Like, will we be able? And these are like one, just one exemption or postponement is going to raise a lot of different questions for a lot of different people for that matter. So I'm just going to say that it's something that we should consider very, very carefully because I, for one, I don't want to see these guys just waste two years in the military either. But seeing as they're Korean citizens before anything else, and the law is made strictly for Korean citizens, then yeah, it's... So yeah, I'm trying to kind of sit on the fence here, but I can see both sides of the argument, and yeah, I guess we'll just have to see what happens, and and we'll have to discuss what happens then, I guess, and and hopefully whatever conclusions that they draw will benefit both BTS and Korea and the Korean economy and well not lead to any awkward questions about well who gets to go to the military when they want to and who doesn't you know what I'm saying we were talking about k-pop's influence in our you know countries we're familiar with like I'm familiar with the United States a little bit about a little bit of Latin America I'm sure I was talking about K-pop's role in India. Do you know? Do you have any insight on like the surrounding countries in Asia? Maybe you know, Indonesia, Japan, just like the surrounding, just like some some insight into into surrounding Asian countries and how they're interpreting K-pop. From what I'm familiar with, it you know uh, it, a lot of uh, it, it, there's positive uh, there there are positive things about uh, how Korean people are perceived physically. Like a lot of people like the the look. The K-pop kind of look is what I'm seeing, what I've heard from other uh, neighboring Asian countries. That's kind of like a seen as an attractive look. Um, but do you have any deeper insights on how K-pop is affecting more of Asia? Well, okay, so obviously K-pop is going to have a bigger influence on neighboring Asian countries more than they are going to be influencing, say, countries like the ones you just mentioned. Well, they're just a lot more closer geographically. And it just makes it easier for people to access it. Like you, you'll see groups like, um, I don't know, like, like BTS or like Girls' Generation or whatever. Like you'll see them having concerts and tours in the likes of China and Japan, Taiwan, Thailand, um, you know, everywhere from Northeast to Southeast Asia. And of course, you'll see the occasional uh, like European or American tours, but just because they're so much closer in terms of in close in terms of just physical distance, like everything is a lot bigger in Asia in in East Asia particularly. Like you'll see members of K-pop groups speaking fluent Japanese or Chinese because. Well, mostly because they spend so much time in those respective countries that they end up picking up the lingo 
to either communicate with the fans better and everything like that. So, or to just, well, or to just kind of immerse themselves into the culture, seeing as they're, well, there for extended periods of time. And I would say that it's, that's probably where the whole K-pop overseas boom kind of kicked off, should I say. And that makes sense because again, closer distance. So it kind of start to take over your neighboring countries. Make, well, maybe take over is kind of too strong a word, but you start slowly. You start with your neighboring countries like China or Japan. Then you branch out to other, to further countries, still close, but a bit further, like the likes of like Thailand or Indonesia or stuff like that. And then once you've figured out what works over there, then you start branching out to the likes of Europe, the Americas, Latin America, North America, whatever. And I guess that's really how K-pop really came to be this global phenomenon. I never realized how big a thing it was before BTS showed up, obviously. But I've also noticed that like a lot of groups like Big Bang or Girls' Generation or everyone they still had very prominent fandoms in the U.S. even before, long before BTS showed up. In conclusion, we are curious what the future holds for soft power emanating from rising economies in Asia. Thank you so much for dividing our podcast team in a feud between BTS and Blackpink. Thank you so much, Teddy. Once again, Teddy is a journalist out of South Korea, alumni of NYU, and K-pop old head. Until next time, peace out.